and take a trip down on my block when you see hidden potential young minds sharper than pencil and ain't afraid to speak they mind if they got something against you we standing with you we tackle issues like civic pride hate will cease to exist let's put our differences aside from my side to your side from dutch town to south side from penrose to north side from benton park to old north to west end the west side we bless when we step out we stand down rise up stand together wise up this is Stitch Cast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. Mental Health Part 2, Story Stitchers guests Alexis Evans, licensed professional counselor, and Megan Hill, clinical therapist, join youth leaders to discuss mental health in Part 2 of a two-part series recorded live at 3524 Washington Avenue. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers. All right, hello everybody under the sound of my voice. We want to thank you once again for tuning in to Stitchcast Studio. I'm your host, Brandon Lewis, and I am accompanied by a couple of members from our Stitchcast. First, we got Melanie. Say what's up. What's up? We also got Rachel. Say hey. Hey. And we got a couple of returning guests. If you listen to our first podcast on mental health, uh, then you're already familiar with this with these guests, but in, just 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 in the event that you're not, uh, both are highly intelligent, both got master degrees, like it was easy, like it was just nothing. Uh, but I'm gonna let them talk a little bit about themselves. We have Alexis and we have Megan coming back. Thank you so much for joining us again, ladies. Thank you for having us. Of course, of course. You see how in sync they is. <laughs> now, um, before we get too deep into the podcast, and for those who didn't watch the first podcast or listen to the first podcast. Can y'all tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll go first. Okay, my name is Alexis. Um, uh, like Brandy said, I'm a, a licensed professional counselor here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I have my own private practice called Intentional Living Psychotherapy, and I help people heal by living intentionally. Um, my name is Megan. I'm a licensed professional counselor as well. I have my own private practice, Melanated Healing Counseling and Consulting. Um, and I am in the St. Louis, Missouri area, and I work with children, young adults, and older adults, specifically black and brown women. Dope, fire, fire. And uh, not that this has much to do with uh, mental health, and I don't think we talked about it before uh, in the first podcast, but did y'all two know each other before uh, before counseling and before the first podcast we did? We did know yes. each other before the first podcast. Dope, dope, dope. <laughs> we dope. actually went to Webster University together. Where we got our uh, masters. Yep. Fire at the same time. <laughs> got you. Got you. Fire. All right. Let's uh let's dive into this thing. So we're not gonna do too much of uh reiterating what was said in the first podcast. But before we get into the a bunch of the new things, there were a few like really important things that I thought were said that would be nice for people listening to this podcast to hear. So uh, when we were talking yesterday, uh, last podcast, when we were talking in the last podcast, both of you mentioned that anxiety and depression were uh, some of the most common uh, common things that you treat. Could you just repeat a few of the things that people that aren't able to have access to therapy can do to treat their uh, anxiety and depression? Um, I think... So I know when I spoke about it last, I talked about doing yoga and mindfulness, but then also, you know, just being able to center themselves and even do some grounding activities where you do a lot of deep breathing and you're focusing on specific things that you hear, see, taste, touch, work, and feel. And those are things that you can just do in your home or wherever you may be. 
Um, grounding can be really therapeutic if you do it outside in nature and you actually ground yourself within the elements. Um, so, Yeah, and I think I may have spoke about like just being aware of your, your thoughts and your feelings. Um, so one of the things that you can do is journal, um, you know, writing down your thoughts, making sure you're aware of how you're thinking. And then I think we also touched on working out. That is a great stress reliever for anyone experiencing anxiety, depression, getting those um, cortisol, um, stress, tension out of your body. I was watching a video yesterday on mental health that talked about different ways that depression can manifest physically, uh, such as things like loss of sleep or overeating or undereating or loss of interest and things like that. Um, could each of you give a few examples of how uh, being mentally unhealthy can cause you to be physically unhealthy? or how they can manifest physically. Yeah. Um, so I believe that both of those things actually go hand in hand. Um, if you're not taking care of your physical health, you're more than likely not taking care of your uh, mental health as well. Um, and so when you mentioned things like um, sleeping and eating, those are actually things that are going to cause you to have a better mental health. Um, getting enough sleep allows you to, you know, wake up in the morning and do the things that you need to do. And also with eating, it allows you to like um, have the nutrition that your body needs to actually function throughout the day. So for me, I think those things actually go hand in hand and you can't have good health without having both. Absolutely. I would agree with Alexis. Um, getting enough sleep and actually resting. I think so many people sometimes they're just like, oh, I'll go to sleep later. Like, I don't need to rest. But your body needs the rest to, to repair itself so that you can be your best self. Um, being very intentional about boundaries because that can cause when you are experiencing other things and the boundaries are not clear, that may be a lot for your mental health as well as your physical health because you're not doing what's needed to take care of yourself. And then also having a balanced diet, making sure that you're drinking plenty of water so that you're hydrated and eating the things that you need to fuel your body instead of a lot of junk. I know some people love junk food, but if you notice eating a lot of junk food, it does make you feel like drained or sluggish at times. And so incorporating some fruits and vegetables and proteins can really help to change your mood and how you're feeling. I noticed uh, after uh, COVID or after the pandemic, specifically the first lockdown, uh, I seem to have more social anxiety than I had before. Is that something that you would treat how you would treat uh, any other sort of anxiety and also uh, as someone that does uh, do the things you mentioned like uh, yoga and fruits and vegetables and all of this good stuff. Um, should I be intentionally putting myself in situations where I have to interact with people to deal with that uh, anxiety? Yeah, you, you're asking for the secrets now, but... Oh, uh, word, my bad, my bad, my bad. I would say... Uh, from, from my perspective, if I was treating that, then I would treat it similar to just general anxiety. Again, it has a lot to do with our thought processes. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're thinking accurately about your thinking is very important. Um, and then also diffusing that in ways. Um, and sometimes that may actually be exposing yourself to that thing so that you can understand that, you know, it's not as scary as it seems. Um, so absolutely, yes, we treat it the same way and it would be also possible to expose yourself to those things that you may fear, feel fearful of. Um, I know self-care is like very important like during these times. Is it, do you think it's okay if people practice um, radical self-care 
or should I just stick with, you know, regular self-care? Well, I have a question. Could you let us know what you think is radical self-care? Um, so it's like, how I see it as, it's like, um, you, you want to take care of yourself before you take care of others, like, on the, like, a continuous scale. Mm-hmm. I feel like like when you fed up enough, like I'm tired of putting other people first. Let me put myself first. I would say yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> myself. Yes. Uh-huh. Because taking care of yourself first uh-huh. um, is so important because it makes it really challenging for you to take care of the other people mm-hmm. in your life. Um, and so making sure that you're doing the necessary things for yourself to be what you need to be for yourself and for other people is okay. very important. So I would definitely say do that first. It is not selfish to take care of yourself. It is self-preservation and it's necessary. Yeah, and I would also add that you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And so and for you to be able to take care of other people, you also need to be, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So definitely, I actually definitely. think taking care of self first is actually a good thing. Okay. That's good. That's good. I don't know. I have a, like, some of my friends, we're all, like, the same. And they're like, no, let's just focus on normal self-care. Where when you find the time for yourself, that's when you should do it. Whereas radical self-care is like, I'm going to make sure I'm okay all the time before other people. And that's, like, where I'm leaning towards more just radical self-care, especially in college and stuff like that. It's, I gotta put myself first in general because it's college. I just gotta make sure my education is good, make sure my mental state is good. Well, um, I know that a lot of people nowadays in the environment, um, some people don't like to go to therapy. So, like, what, is there like anything or like any ways that we could do to like help our friends and family that don't want to go to therapy, but like help them in the best way we can? Um, I think one thing that you could do is talking with them about what you know about therapy, so sharing the positives of it, or sharing with them, like, you know, if they're having intrusive thoughts or they're feeling anxiety or depression, you could encourage them to journal because that's something that they can do where they can pour out everything that they're feeling and experiencing. And maybe sharing it with you may be too much because you may not know what to do with that information. And so if they can put it in the journal, they have a place to put it. And there are various resources where their phone numbers, where they can call and talk to people. And it's just somebody on the other end listening to them where they don't necessarily feel like I'm making a commitment to go to therapy, but there are resources out there for me to speak with people. Yes, like BHR, um, there are a lot of crisis help hotlines. There are text lines where if you don't feel comfortable actually talking on the phone, you can text someone and talk through what you may be experiencing. Um, last time uh, we spoke in our last podcast, uh, both of you spoke on, spoke on the fact that not only therapists, but, but nobody can fix anybody. Um, and you uh, spoke about... Uh, validating how people feel and when i listened back to that podcast recently it it just made me kind of curious is there ever a time where it is a like i I know that with 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 healthy communication uh uh you should validate validate each other's feelings you shouldn't invalidate each other's feelings but is there ever a time where it's appropriate to invalidate how somebody is feeling I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no. I think 
you know, how someone is feeling is, is their perspective on things and that's their truth. Um, you may not agree with it and that's okay. And I think it's okay Definitely. to disagree. Um, but I don't know if you can invalidate their feelings because again, that's how they're perceiving things. So I think the best thing that we can do is just say, hey, I, I let's agree to disagree on this. Mm-hmm. I think that um, everything Alexis said is so true. But then also, you know, like you may not agree with them and but it's their experience and it doesn't, and you all could have lived the same experience and experienced it totally different. And so being able to be okay with that, like, well, their experience is theirs and yours is yours. And it's okay if you all don't agree on how things should be or how the experience should have been. So, but in validating it, I think that that could be, it could be more harmful because right. it could be seen yeah. as dismissive. And right, we wouldn't want anybody to dismiss how we're feeling. So. Right. Definitely. So, how do y'all remain unbiased? Like, what if a client, like, really struck a nerve? How do you remain unbiased? Are you speaking specifically with, like, our clients or, like, with family and friends or just in general? Uh, I guess in general, where, of course, you have more knowledge about how the brain works and, like, different perspectives. And, and sometimes I feel like there's a thin line between like professionalism and then like what you believe in. So how do you remain like on a professional side? If there is moments where you feel like you should invalidate someone's feelings, but you're like, nope, I'm I'm doing my job. Yeah. Um, I would say for like from a professional standpoint, say if I'm meeting with a client and they're sharing their story with me. I think that it's for me to listen um, and not necessarily interject. I want to be able to hear what they're saying, um, but I'm also able to give them another perspective. So it's not to invalidate them or tell them that they're wrong or be unbiased. However, I do think that there's multiple ways of looking at things. And so sometimes as therapists, we're able to give our clients another perspective. Again, it's not to say that um, that they have to go with what we're saying, um, but this is just another way of looking at things. Hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time for our Pick the City Up art interlude featuring an original piece by Story Stitchers alumni Rachel titled Envy Peace. I envy my thoughts. I envy the fantasies that swirl around my brain before I feel short of breath as anxiety places its two hands around my throat and squeeze tears from my eyes for depression to catch and throw into the ocean of what ifs my mind formed because of others, I envy my thoughts. I envy those who envy me because they see the things that I don't go through. Much like a band-aid, the healing happens beneath the surface, I envy my thoughts. I envy my pencil for composing words I wish to say from my mouth, but these lips only sing beautiful lullabies that causes nightmares. I envy my thoughts. I envy the lies that I tell myself whenever I see peace I want to acquire from my household. I envy my thoughts, but I pray to God every day begging for the presence of peace. You are the promise God offers after the storms, but sometimes I wish you can pull me from the midst of my chaos and protect me from the tongues of the ones who speak cur curses over me, like the clouds that distort my vision. They always tell me to walk by faith and not by sight. I pray to God every day begging for the presence of peace, but I feel like you've abandoned me. Like my chaos is too much to bear, 
I cried out to the storms instead of God. One day my chaos is too much to bear. I screamed and God silenced my tongue. And he demanded my ears to listen. Then he placed me in solitude and whispered in my ear, yet the storms rage on, the sun is always shining. These storms are temporary, but the one true sun is forevermore. I told God I envy my thoughts and I pray to God every day begging for peace's presence. Thank you. Mm. Beautiful, I like when you do that one. So I think this is a good time to open the floor for questions. So my question is, if you feel like you or someone close to you is experiencing a mental health crisis, what should they do? And maybe how would you identify like what a crisis is? Um, if someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, it could look like if they are having erratic behavior, if they're making statements where they're saying they want to harm themselves or harm other people, um, if it's something that, if it's behavior that you've never seen before and it's very concerning, um, I would strongly encourage taking them to the nearest emergency room where they can get an evaluation. I know sometimes that can be really scary, especially if it's a child. Um, but there, there are behavioral health specialists and counselors and social workers that are there to evaluate the child to figure out what's the best plan of care. And then also there's a behavioral health um, urgent care now, um, off like in DePaul, DePaul Hospital, I believe. And so that's another place to take them where it's not, it's more of like a clinic versus being in an emergency room. So that would be steps and even calling BHR to have somebody speak with them over the phone. And if additional support is needed, they can dispatch that for them. Yeah, I would agree. If they're in a crisis, there are a couple like hotlines that they can call in the moment. Um, and that, that seems to be really helpful, especially if someone's going through something like immediate. Um, and so like she said, BHR um, has a couple hotlines. There's a few other ones, I think. Um, I don't want to misquote them, but um, there's a few that you can Google to kind of help people get the help that they need in the immediate time. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and I had another question. If someone is like hearing this conversation and maybe recognizing that they want to start taking those first steps to really improve their mental health or address some of the issues they might be facing, where would you suggest someone starts? Um, or where where maybe is the what's the best first step when tackling mental health? Um, I think the best first step is reaching out to maybe somebody they know that can connect them with resources, or even if they have a primary care physician or a professional in that capacity that they could talk to about providing them with resources. But there are a lot of resources out there, Therapy for Black Girls, Psychology Today, Open Path, The Collective, Therapy Tribe, Talkspace. And so these are places where they can actually go and type in like looking for a therapist in Missouri and they can be very specific about what they're looking for and what they're needing. Yeah, um, asking someone in, um, in your support group, I think is a good idea. Um, a friend or a family member that may already be seeking services or your um, primary care provider would be a good start. Thank you for your question. So um, as a therapist, what are some of uh, the qualities or like characteristics y'all have to have in order to be in this field and be successful in it? I think a quality that you have to have um, is you have to have a willingness 
to want to help people. Um, and you also have to be willing to understand that, and we've said this before, that you can't fix anybody and their healing or going along their journey, it's not all up to you. It's up to them, to that person to do the work. And so I think if you can go into the situation knowing that there's no guarantee that this is how it's going to turn out, but that you're you're willing to support them is something really important to me. Yeah. I would also add um, a few characteristics that we probably learned throughout school. I was trying to remember. <laughs> um, to be empathetic, I think it's very important to be able to um, understand the perspectives of other people. Um, let's see. Uh, being open-minded is very important as well because people are coming in with their own perspectives on things and so you don't want to be able to shut them down. And then lastly, being self-aware. Um, again, we're uh, hopefully guiding people to their own self-awareness. And so for us, we also have to be aware of ourselves, our biases, our misconceptions, our beliefs, things like that. Is there like one thing that you don't think that you, you would have learned if you never went into the psychology field? Is there anything that in that field that made you think different or gave you new ideas or anything? I've always said that like my field experience allowed me to be uh, become more self-aware. Um, I think that that's something that we all learn to do over time. But I think that that was, you know, a prime time for me to kind of start learning about myself more. And even now, I think on on the as the journey continues, that we're always becoming self-aware of ourselves. So I think that's the biggest thing for me. I would have to agree with Alexis. Um, my level of self-awareness really increased when I got in the program. And even once graduating and being like in the profession, just recognizing where I am on my own journey is really important for me to best support my clients when helping them on their journey. Um, this question is uh, not just for you two, but for everybody, uh, everybody here. Uh, Obviously, uh, you two take your mental health uh, serious. Uh, the first question is, uh, how seriously would you say that you take your mental health? And the um, second part of that question is, what do you do intentionally to ensure that your uh, mental health is uh, in a good place? I know you have mentioned things that you can do to uh, to stay healthy mentally, but what, what, what could you list a few things that you do intentionally? Um, I would say for me, um, going to therapy for myself, um, also, just being very mindful of the spaces that I go into and the conversations that I have with people and being able to step away and set those boundaries if necessary, if I feel as though it is not something that is healthy for me to be around because it may be triggering to me. And so being very aware of my triggers and still learning them because that's not just like, oh, you learn your triggers and then they're like, no more. No, that's not how it works. They're not anymore, excuse me. Um, and so being aware of that and then also taking time each day to decompress from the day and to do my best not to hold it for the next day because early on when I was in my program, I noticed that I had a lot of racing thoughts when it was time for me to go to sleep because I just kept thinking about everything that I had to do, the things that I did that day. And so... I became really aware of that and I started to write down everything that I needed to do for the next day and I would sit it on my nightstand so that I got it out of my head, it's there, and in the morning, I'll pick it up. And so 
that's something that I, those are some things I do. Yeah, I know you asked like how serious we take care of our mental health. I would have to say, I think it ebbs and flows sometimes. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it depends on what's happening in our world. And again, I think, you know, we can mention how COVID-19 has affected all of us. Um, and for me specifically during this time, it, it, it has been a challenge, but also it has allowed me to be more mindful because again, I am helping people on a day-to-day basis with their stuff while also holding, uh, holding space for myself. Um, and so, you know, I would agree with uh, Megan. She said therapy, um, having that person that you can process how you're feeling with. Um, and then hopefully that therapist will, you know, guide you through your own practice. So things like journaling, um, exercising, eating healthy, um, setting boundaries, all of those things are, are going to be very important um, for us as therapists. So, again, that we can meet the needs of the people that we're serving. Beautiful. Uh, Mel, Rach, what about y'all? What do y'all do to stay healthy? Um, once again, like mental health is very important to me, especially with, uh, it's taught me how to become more self-aware of myself. Um, knowing like small things like why my leg hurts today, you know, is it because I'm stressing or like why my shoulders hurt? Um, one thing I do for my mental health is, um, outside working on poetry and perfecting my craft, just go to sleep or I hang out with my friends or have conversations, you know, something to make sure that I'm still active in in what I'm doing and that I'm not just, you know, sitting in my room all day looking at four walls or I, you know, travel or I take nature walks, just making sure that I'm staying afloat and that I'm not sinking, I guess. Um, I take my mental health pretty seriously. Ever since COVID really happened, um, I've been in the house more, so I've been with myself more often, but I've been learning um, spirituality, so I've been meditating and I do, I eat all the fruits. I've been working with, I've been incorporating herbs in my food and I, I take my walks. I try to get outside more, but that's really what like I do. I try to work on my breathing and my meditating because I have really bad anxiety, especially social anxiety. And But I'm working on it, we're getting there. Actually, uh, it's definitely a process. It's absolutely a process. Um, Is there anything, and I hope this isn't too similar to a question that you asked earlier, but is there anything that you two learned in the field that uh, that you that that you just you you weren't taught in the classroom that that you don't think you would have learned without experience. Therapy, so much <laughs> therapy. Word. <laughs> um, you don't. For me, you don't know what you don't know until you're actually in it and you're experiencing it. Um, in the classroom, you learn the pedagogy, you learn the different styles, the different techniques. But then when you're actually sitting face to face with a client, that's when you actually have to do it and you have to figure out what your style is and how to support that person in that moment. And so that was that was it. Like, oh, this is real. Like, I really am sitting down with you and we're processing how you're feeling. Okay, I can do this. Got you. Got you. Um, is there if there was anything that you could uh, tell to a current uh current students uh, looking to go into your field, what, what would you tell them now having experience? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Did I let you answer the question? No, no, you're oh. good. She, she answered it. Got you, got you, got you. I'm sorry. I would say keep going because um, one thing I know about our field and, you know, our experience at Webster, you know, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of roadblocks to getting to your degree and actually getting out there and practicing. And so, you know, sometimes it may be discouraging because, you know, I feel like they try to weed out some of, you know, some of us to make sure that we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so anyone that's actually attempting to, you know, be a therapist, no matter what, through like the, you know, field experiences throughout the coursework, just keep going if that's something that you say you really want to do. Um, I would say I agree 100% with Alexis. And then I would also say be very true to yourself and really know that this is something that you want to do. Of course, you could end up doing other things, but I think if being a therapist, a counselor is not something that you're passionate about, it can become, it can feel like a very daunting experience. And so be very true to yourself. Reach out to your support systems. Don't try to experience or go through the program by yourself. Reach out, connect with someone in your cohort or if they're friends that you know or go on social media because social media is so large, you could make a post and somebody will respond and like, oh, I know this person, they can help you with that. So just kind of put yourself out there, but definitely stay the course. It's well worth it. Yeah, that's that's very like, yeah, I want to become a music therapist. So that's like very inspirational to hear, like especially representation. And I know like even early this morning and last night, all of our friends were studying for our psych exam till one o'clock in the morning, you know, cause like we all want to be therapists. We all want to um, help our community, you know, go back to our high schools and our elementary schools to show little girls like, hey, you can actually do this, you know, no matter what, what you've been through, what trauma you faced, you can actually do something, you know, put your mind to it. Was there any, um, before you uh, got in the field, was there any sort of uh, training? Uh, well, obviously there was training, but how, how did they go about allowing you to use the techniques that they taught you before you actually got into the field? Or were they just like, this is what you do and I go figure it out? That's a good question. That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> I'll try to answer it. Um, so <laughs> you go to school, you get the training, and essentially, you do just go out there, you do your practicum. That's for Webster, you do a practicum and you have a supervisor at the site that you're working with. And they, to me, they work more one on one with you to make sure you are doing the necessary things to be a therapist. Um, and then there's like the practicum class where you're talking about your cases and you are sharing a recording of you doing therapy and your classmates and professors critique that. And then when you get into internship, it's like the next level. Like now you're really in it. You have clients, you have a caseload, but basically they teach you what you need to know for you to just go out there, just launch you out into the deep. And it's sink or swim. And you just keep swimming. You won't sink, just keep swimming. Yeah, I think that they teach us, I'm not going to say the basics, but they teach us the basics. Um, and then, yeah, of course, we have to go out there and practice it. Um, but I think for my, I'll speak for myself, I think once I actually got out into the field, um, 
and and felt more comfortable in the basics. I think I've also tried to shift my practice to, you know, what accommodates the the clients that I'm trying uh, attempting to assist. Um, and so, you know, I think school was great for learning the basics. And then, you know, you have to learn to adjust to what your clients are bringing in. Was it ever like areas where you can like add your own, I guess, for lack of better words, your own flavoring or seasoning to it, you know, just like go off books, like off script. Like, is there ever room for that? Um, in communication style, I would say yes. Um, in terms of like building rapport with my clients, um, I want to be able to meet them where they are. And sometimes that means, you know, taking away the the technical jargon and things and actually speaking to them like, you know, a real human being. And so if I'm meeting with a African-American young lady, we're, we're speaking as if we are sisters, we are cousins. Um, and, and yeah, so kind of moving away from some of the technical stuff and making sure people feel comfortable. Yes, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, what was it? What was it like getting your first client? First client in graduate school or first client postgraduate school? Like postgrad, like you in the field, like this is truly your practice and this is your person. If I'm completely honest, it was terrifying. Good. Um, I was, and the only reason I say it was terrifying, and it wasn't terrifying in the sense of, oh my god, I can't do this, I won't be successful. Um, it was just, I had waited so long for that moment. I had sacrificed and I had studied and did everything and the moment was there. Um, I was a family therapist. And so family therapy versus individual therapy or group therapy, those are told like in couples therapy, those are different avenues. And so that part, I was just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm talking to you about ways to help with raising your child. Okay, I don't have children, but it worked. And I was able to make the impact that was necessary for that client, for that family. And so after I did the first session, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And the jitters went away, but it's just like the nervousness or anxiety that you have with doing anything for the first time. But I will say I was a little terrified. <laughs> yeah. I would say I was nervous too, just because it was my own practice. I think, you know, prior to being out on my own, we had learned a lot of things, but again, um, we now have the opportunity to put our own flavor on it. So we want to make sure, you know, not only are we like seeking out clients that match the style, our styles, um, but then making sure that, that we're giving them the appropriate care as well. So, you know, intake documents, things of that nature, making sure we collect all of the information, but then also having our practice being something that's unique to us. And the, again, the clients that we're attempting to serve. Got you. Now, was there any, um, and you don't have to get specific, you could just say yes and no if you want, but um, were there any things that you were taught while uh, being prepared that you were like, okay, I'm gonna learn that to get this degree, but I'm not using that, or I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do that? I'm sure there was. Yeah. I don't know what that is, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure there's something. Um, I think the interesting about interesting thing about therapy and the different approaches, you know, 
me and Megan can have different approaches in, in the way that we treat our clients. And so there's multiple ways of treating, you know, the same thing. And so being able to say, okay, this is my style and my approach to therapy may be totally different from how someone else, um, someone else's approach to therapy. Gotcha. So we take what we what we what we right. like, right. that other stuff. <laughs> right, right. That's what I figured. Yeah. Same. Take what you need and leave the rest. Um, but I think that's for anything, whether it be therapy or whatever profession or thing that you're interested in. You learn everything that you can, but then you only hold on to the things that will benefit you and the client and the populations that you wish to serve. Definitely. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, in the question before this, you were talking about like couples therapy and, and, and counseling someone with having a kid despite not having a kid. Um, do therapists have like specialties or, 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 or do, do people do people say, OK, my specialty is couple of couples counseling. This is the only type of counseling I want to do or do or do you or or despite that intention, do you still have to learn kind of the whole trade? So I think as far as I can speak from my understanding, I think, you know, you learn about therapy as a whole to provide therapy for people, but then there are specialties. If you specialize in being a children's therapist, a couples therapist, an art therapist, um, a family therapist, there are various techniques that you need in order to provide therapy to those populations. And so there may be extra training that you take. There are perhaps extra classes or certifications that you get so that you can be more specific in that craft and that population. As therapists, uh, we mentioned last time that therapists need therapy too, that, that both of you have therapists. As therapists, what do you look for when, when when you're when you're trying to pick a therapist for yourself? Uh, what do you look for, and what should people that are considering therapy look for when they're trying to uh, find a therapist that fits them? Um, for me, when I was looking for a therapist, I was looking for somebody that looks like me, um, and I was looking for somebody that I felt like that I could relate to, um, and. I felt like she worked with a population, well, with my population, like with me and like other people like me. And so when a person is looking for therapy, you know, it's an interview. You need to ask questions if you want to know, you know, how long they've been practicing. I mean, you could ask that. I never asked that part because I don't really care how long you've been practicing because <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're seasoned or if you're new to it because... You may just have this connection that I really need. Um, and it's about the connection, the the vibe that you get. And I mean, my therapist, the first time I spoke to her in the intake, I was just like, yeah, she the one. Mm -hmm. I don't need to look any further. And that worked for me. Yeah, I was also looking for someone that looked like me as well. Um, but then I also think it's important to consider um, like the issue or the, the concern that you're coming into therapy for and making sure that person actually treats um, and is knowledgeable about your concern. Um, other than that, I think it's important, like Megan said, to kind of vet your therapist, um, go to a couple sessions, um, 
build that rapport, allow them to, you know, connect with you. And if it's not a good fit, I think it's always important to kind of like shop around a little bit. You don't have to stay with one person. There's a lot of therapists out here. And so hopefully you will be able to find someone that, you know, connects with you. Also, something to add, it is okay to tell your therapist or if you're looking for a therapist that their approach does not meet your needs because they don't know if you don't tell them. And so being able to have that level of transparency with them can be very beneficial for you and your healing journey. Got you, got you. Like one of those help me help you type situations. Got you. Uh, Rachel, I think you said last podcast that you uh, have a therapist as well and you're in school for therapy. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did you uh, go about looking for a therapist? Um, so they had a catalog of therapists on, like, on their web, on Webster's website. And I was contemplating therapy, like, for a long time. And, like, in my household, it's like, pray to God, he'll figure it out. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I told myself, once I got to college, that's my top priority. It's for me to find a therapist and I love her dearly. Like she's, she looks like me and she speaks to me like I'm talking to y'all and it's like, okay, I understand. Um, and she's teaching me how to become uh, more self-aware. And one thing that I really love and that I would love to implement in my practices is the idea of each time I go to her, each session, she's like, did you meet your goals for the week? Um, last, last Tuesday, she told me to write down like three to five things where where I had a negative thought or I had a negative reaction and how I changed it to a positive reaction. So it's like, when you wake up and you stub your toe, like that can mess up your whole day. So instead of you like, dang, you know, like this messing me up in the head, it's like, okay, at least my toe didn't fall off. Like it's just changing your perspective. And yeah, I definitely recommend it, recommend therapy. And it was to the point where half of my friend group we're all in therapy. Of course, we have different therapists, but it was like, hey, you were sad the first two weeks of, of college and now you're doing better. Now you're having conversations, you're being social. How did that help? So of course I prayed, but then like, I went to therapy as well and I enjoyed talking to her and she allows me to, you know, be myself. And like at first it was like, High anxiety talking to her. I was sweating bullets. She was like, okay, tell me tell me what you've been through. She just flat out, I was sweating bullets. And she was like, girl, you got anxiety, but we going to figure it out. And then now I'm just like, okay, can you turn on the air, but I'm not sweating as much this time. All right, got you. <laughs> Most of. It's fun. Most it's fun. I recommend it. The catalog that you spoke about, mm-hmm. is that something that you have to go to Webster to have access to, or is that something that anybody can uh, get their hands on? Um, It's free for Webster students. So that's gotcha. one thing I appreciate about like college institutions, that they have free counseling services. That's like something I truly take advantage of, because like my sister, she wants to go to therapy, but like it's going to hurt our parents' pockets. And she was like, well, I'm going to make that my priority once I get to college is to go to therapy. I'm like, well, all right then. Got you. Mm. And this is a question for uh, all three of y'all. Melanie, if you have input, you can definitely uh, chime in. But um, so, uh, again, for people that are considering therapy but have no idea where to start, they don't know where to look for a therapist, they don't, they don't know where to go, how, to, how, to, how, to, how do I do this? Uh, what, what would you say to that person? Ask somebody that you know. Um, 
You can put it on social media if you want to. You could post a question. How do you start looking for therapy? Um, you can go to Therapy for Black Girls. You can go to Open Path, Psychology Today, Therapy Tribe, Talkspace. Are these websites? These are websites. Got yes, you. excuse me. These are websites. You can go on Google and type in looking for a therapist and therapists will appear. You can be specific and say, I'm looking for a black therapist. I'm looking for a white therapist, Hispanic, Asian, whatever it is, a male therapist. Um, and the therapist will pop up. I will say, if you live in Missouri, put Missouri. If you live in a different state, put the state that you're looking for. Because sometimes that is that can be the barrier. You find a therapist that you really like. You like their profile. You connect with it. But then they only see clients in Missouri and you live in Georgia. So that's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, I would agree. If you have access to like a phone, Google. <laughs> Google is probably your best option. Um, like she said, just, you know, put in therapist, counselor, um, therapy, um, and hopefully something will come up, whether that's like individual therapists or maybe community health agencies. There's quite a few here in St. Louis. So um, there's a, quite a few different ways that you can get help. Um, and if it is a crisis and you end up having to go to like a hospital or urgent care, they can also provide you with information on how to get connected. Um, so for like high school students or even middle school, go to your school counselor. Um, I was blessed enough to have a counselor who was like, clinically licensed and she was a school uh, counselor. So she had best, best of both worlds. Um, and then she also gave me resources. Uh, like you said, just look it up. Um, that's what I did. Just go to my school counselor and she connected me to people where I talked to her myself. Do each of you, and I know you can't get into specifics about this, but do uh, each of you have a specific, mo don't worry, don't worry. Do each of you have a specific <laughs> moment uh, that sticks out uh, during your uh, careers where you were like, I'm I'm really glad I was able to help that person. And is therapy uh, fulfilling to you, being able to help people in such a way? Yes. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing feeling to um, create space, a safe space for someone to process through their life experiences and to trust you in that way because they don't know you. Um, and I think it is very humbling for me and I'm super grateful that people allow me to be that person for them. Yeah, I agree with what Megan said. Got you. <laughs> um, if y'all wasn't doing counseling, what would y'all do? What would y'all be doing? I would be living in Ghana, West Africa, working at the orphanage that I was at when I was in undergrad. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you, Megan, for sharing that because I'm like, what would I be doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the dream. That's the fan in a, in a, in a real, in like, a, I don't know, in a magical place, that's where I would be. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I need to dream bigger. Uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, I do have dreams of opening opening a nonprofit, and I think it, I want it to center around mental health and um, education and tutoring. Really? Um, but I, you know, I was just thinking, you know, 
St. Louis or another city, she said Ghana. So, but you that's know. true. <laughs> they did because it's needed. And I oh, feel yeah. like that would be something super awesome and something that you can still do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to Ghana with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. That's dope. Uh, as somebody that's passionate about music, I think that when it takes you so long to think about what you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing now, mm-hmm. it speaks to how... Um, passionate you are about what you're doing yeah, and uh, how much of your how 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 involved you are with that that it's kind of hard to think like what what would I, what would I be doing if I wasn't <laughs> doing this like this is all I do yeah. but um so yeah I love that um do y'all consider therapy as an art like is it like music is like my art do y'all consider it as an art like something well I guess y'all would rather do it for the rest of your life maybe who said that? <laughs> <laughs> is, it like a, is it like an art form to y'all? It's like something that you like, like being surrounded in. Like, I think therapy itself, like, is a practice mm-hmm. um, that we all should kind of incorporate into our lives of you know healing mm-hmm. and growing and learning about ourselves. Um, so that's always going to be like a personal practice of mm-hmm. mine, and hopefully. You know, the clients that I work with, I, I've helped them implement that practice. So that's something that they will continue with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the journey of life. However, I'm just going to say I don't want to be a therapist forever. I don't know <laughs> if I should put that out there, but, you know, uh, I've got other right. dreams, too. Oh, right. yeah, yes. of course. <laughs> you better conquer <laughs> all those gotta, dreams. Exactly, right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Oh, wait, oh, I got to answer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I consider it an art. Um, mm-hmm. I consider, I don't know, it's an experience to say that I want to be a therapist for the rest of my life. I don't know. At this stage, it's an exciting journey that I'm on and I don't want to stop. So. Does, it, does it require any sort of uh, creative expression on your end? When I work with children, yes, I will say. Like I have, sometimes I feel like I have to be a little more creative because it's hands-on and I'm not behind a computer screen. I'm like actually in their face, um, in their space. They're in my space. So, but I mean, you make it what you make it for the clients that you have to reach them and to meet them where they are. So you, it may require a certain level of creativity for you and for them in order to help them get what they need out of it and for you to give them what they need. Got you. Got you. We did a um we did a podcast not too long ago of what life without art would look like. And what we found out was that anything that uh involves creative expression is by definition art. So if you wanted you could consider yourself an artist. You know, nice. It's up to you. You don't have to. It's up to artists. That was very it's up poetic. But yeah, that, <laughs> we that makes it an art. Yeah. 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 It sounds good, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm an artist. <laughs> All right, we're going to do this last art interlude and then we're going to get out of here. This has been a beautiful conversation, by the way. How to treat a girl that's been hurt before. Now, the first thing you'll need is patience. Because she's going to second guess everything you say before you lose it. Try to realize that nice words have landed her in dirt before and so your words are going to be worth a little bit less than they may have been worth before. Secondly, you'll need understanding. Because her mind's filled with times that guys have lied and times where things just didn't work out the way she'd hoped. 
And so now there were pages and pages and books of words she wrote, but words that had never been spoken from the lips of the broken, tears soaking each of her pages in different places. It's almost as if to say that she cries every single time that book is opened and her soaked pages resemble nothing but her pillowcases because she cries herself to sleep every now and then. Holding in a pain and a strain that your brain can't even comprehend and you'll want to get close to her. But she can't seem to find enough space. Holding in words that often seem to live past the expiration dates too hard to spit them out and so she'll swallow them. And smile as if she enjoys the taste because she lost herself in the wrong person. And took all the necessary precautions because she decided that the last time she was hurt would be the last time that she was hurt. Thirdly, be the world to her. Help her search even when she's just looking to find herself and remind her that she's a queen because low self-esteem will cause her to forget to remind herself. Neither of you are perfect. But a wise person once told me that your flaws are perfect for the heart that's meant to love you. So be the world to her. Not that the world has treated her like the best thing, but baby girl, if you ain't mean a thing to the world, just know you meant the world to me. Thank you. Uh, like, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, this has been an absolutely beautiful conversation. Um, I would definitely, uh, everybody up here, uh, it sounds like, uh, not to speak for anybody because maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it sounds like uh, just about everybody would recommend, highly recommend uh, therapy if you're in a position to get it. Uh, and even if you don't think you're in a position to get it, you'd be surprised at what sort of, res what sort of resources there are out there that are willing to help you get the help you need. So uh, everybody, please do everything you can to stay mentally healthy. We want to thank y'all for listening. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you, Megan. And we are out. Thank you for listening. And last but not least, we want to give a very special shout out to the StitchCast Studio sponsors. StitchCast Studio Season 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund three-year grant from 2020 to 2022, Arts and Education Council, PNC Grant, and Lush Corporations, the Charity Pot. Peace in the Prairie is presented with support from Missouri Arts Council, a state agency which receives support from the state of Missouri and the National Endowment for Arts. Additional support is provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, Missouri Foundation for Health, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2020, Stewart Family Foundation, and Kranzberg Arts Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches. Story stitches.